authentic, sincere, without hypocrisy, is this Greek word, anapokritos. Anapokritos. And in the Greek, it means literally without a mask. So now let's read this and let's, let's put, plug that into there where we read genuine this morning. Well, what, what does it say there? Romans 12 verse 9. It says, let love be without a mask. Let love be without a mask. What are we talking about here? When do you wear a mask? Wear a mask when you're trying to cover something. Wear a mask when you try to pretend to be something that you're not. It's precisely what it's talking about here this morning. You see, in the world of Greek drama, there was this part that was called Hippocrates. And Hippocrates was a play actor who projects an image and hides his true identity behind a mask in a play. And so if you were this play actor in, in Greek drama, then you were called Hippocrates. And metaphorically and morally, a Hippocrates, or where we get our word hypocrite, is anyone who pretends to be something that they are not. Christians here are commanded to love in such a way that it be without hypocrisy, that it be without a mask and their love for one another. You see, hypocrisy is one of those things that as Christians kind of makes us shudder. It kind of stirs up some, some, some feelings for us. Hypocrisy shows itself really in two ways. The one way that most of us are familiar with is the way that it tries to make the outside look better or different than what's actually inside. We put forward what looks like loving behavior that does not really signify what we are feeling inside of our hearts. So you can do some remarkable external acts of service and kindness, but still not have genuine, sincere love in your heart. The classic statement of this form of hypocrisy is found in Matthew chapter 15, verse 7, where Jesus said this. He said, you hypocrites... Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you when he said this, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's one of the scriptures that you hear and you're like, ouch, I don't want to be that person. I wouldn't appreciate knowing that person that, that honors Jesus with their lips, but then their heart is far from them. It's like you're giving this external lip praise, but it's not accompanied by internal heart praise. And I'm afraid this happens on many a Sunday morning, before the message, during our worship. As we come and the words are on the screen and, and we, we mouth the words, and on the outside someone might look at us and, and, and say, oh, they're being you know, sincere. But we'd be hypocritical in nature because we're, we're honoring Jesus with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. And Jesus calls this hypocrisy. He says this is not the way that it should be. And Paul is talking about hypocrisy in the way we love one another. This, again, is not the way that it should be. You know, there's only a few times in Scripture where uh, you can raise up Jesus' wrath. It was always with the people that should know better. Jesus never yelled or got mad at a sinner or someone who was far away from God. But he would get on to the religious types. He would get on to even his disciples from time to time. But it seems like as you read the word of Scripture, there's nothing that, that really got Jesus' wrath up 
like hypocrisy. For example, Matthew 23, verses 25 and 27, Jesus said this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you religious types, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. That's the first way that hypocrisy shows itself is that when we're hiding internally the way that we feel, we're hiding internally the sin, but we're putting up a fake portrayal on the outside of love. But here's the other way that hypocrisy shows itself, and sometimes maybe a little more subtle. We have this tendency sometimes when we're being hypocritical to hide our flaws, sometimes even from ourselves. We can actually convince ourselves that we don't have these flaws by drawing attention to other people's flaws so that ours don't show up so clearly anymore. I would suggest that this is found most often, most often in relationships and many times in marriage struggles. Is that someone will be struggling with who they really are, but they're going to project some of that ugliness and some of that sinfulness and some of those feelings onto someone else. A great example of this is in Luke chapter 6, verse 42, where Jesus said this, How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. You see, Paul is saying in our passage today that real love, that true love, doesn't act this way. Let your love be without hypocrisy. It isn't love if it's hypocrisy. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6, that love rejoices with the truth. But hypocrisy is about falsehood, is about concealment is about deceit. Hypocrisy is the opposite of loving the truth, and so it would also be the opposite of love. And so Paul says here, let love be genuine. Let love be sincere. Let it be without hypocrisy, because a transformed life is marked by genuine love. And in our passage today, after the beginning of this very first four words of verse 9, he goes on to describe this in a little bit more detail. And so the question we have to ask this morning is, based on this passage, what is it telling us today about this type of love that we're to have as transformed people? He starts out with, hey, don't be hypocritical with it. Have it be authentic. Have it be genuine. I want to share three thoughts with you as we continue through this passage this morning. The next one is this, a transformed life loves with holiness. A transformed life loves with holiness. What does it say there in the second part of verse 9? It said, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast or cling to what is good. Biblical love is discerning right from wrong in its core, but also in love's expression. Philippians 1.9 says this, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. That your love would be able to distinguish what is evil and what is good. And you would have knowledge and discernment in that. 
You see, genuine love, real love, authentic love, never endorses, never aligns itself with, or encourages in others attitudes or behavior that is evil. That is not truly loving someone, is encouraging them to continue participating in evil in some way. Rather, it embraces what is good in God's sight, and what we read just a few weeks ago in Romans 12 too, it says, His good, pleasing, and acceptable will, His perfect will that is in Christ Jesus. And so Paul's words here imply that there is an objective, knowable standard of what evil is and what good is, and that we can actually know that through the Scriptures, through knowing the mind of God. And this standard that God gives us in the Scripture, it does not change with times, and it does not change with culture. God has revealed his holy standards of right and wrong to the world. For example, when God's word plainly states something, when God's word plainly states that, say, homosexual behavior, it's a hot topic issue today, that God's word plainly states that homosexual behavior and and calls it sinful, then it does not change to being not sinful when the media or some leader in politics says, oh, hey, that's acceptable now. If it is sin in God's sight, then I think that it is not loving to treat such behavior as morally acceptable because sin hurts people. And sin brings on condemnation. In the book of Romans, in earlier chapters, it says that the wages of sin is death. Rather, the loving thing to do is to gently and with great compassion, not with the eyebrows of judgment and the finger of repentance in someone's face, but gently and with great compassion, tell the person the truth about their sinful choices and point that person to Christ so they can be saved before their sin literally destroys their life in this world. This exemplifies genuine love. Let love be genuine. To abhor what is evil and to hold fast and cling to what is good. It's also interesting to note here that Paul doesn't just say avoid evil. Because he says that in other writings in the New Testament. He'll say, hey, you need to avoid evil, get away from evil. I mean, Paul's the one that said flee, flee from sexual immorality. But here he doesn't say to just avoid evil. He says to abhor it. We're to detest it and hate it. The Greek verb here, and it's used only in this place in the New Testament, has this nuance and this thought of shrinking back in horror from evil. And so to abhor evil means that you're actually going to shrink back almost in a fear of evil. It is an emotional reaction against all that displeases God. And since God hates sin then for us to be indifferent towards sin is to be indifferent toward God. If we're just like, hey, we can just go on continuing in sin and evil, then we are actually being indifferent to God and what He desires. Obviously, to laugh at evil or be entertained by evil, whether that's in person, in a conversation, whether that's on a screen, in in a movie, or a TV screen, it is not to abhor it. The opposite of abhorring what is evil is to hold fast to what is good, he says here. The verb hold fast here means to cling to. Literally, if you read it in the Greek, it means be glued to. So we are to abhor and get away from evil and shrink back in fear from evil. And we are literally to be glued to what is good. 
And the good there is God's good, acceptable, and perfect will that it talks about in Romans 12 too. His moral will, which is revealed in his word, the Bible, to us. Do we remember what it says in Philippians 4.8 from a few weeks ago? Philippians 4.8 said, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about, dwell upon these things. And so we learn that a transformed life loves with holiness and knows good from evil, abhors what is evil. And holds fast to what is good. The second thing we get out of this scripture is that a transformed life loves with brotherly affection. You just read the the first part of verse 10 there. It says, love one another with brotherly affection. What does this mean? It means a lot just like it reads in the English here. There's no secret or hidden meaning, but there's a depth to it here that I want you to understand. In the text here in verse 10, it's talking about the natural brotherly love that comes for someone when they are a part of a family, when they're a part of a loving, close-knit, mutually supportive family. If you've ever had this experience in your life, it's wonderful. When you're under the same roof with a family and you're moving the same direction, there's this camaraderie and this loyalty that is built there within the context of the needs of that family. And you know that you could be out in the world, but when you come home to family, these are the people that really love you. These are the people that you really trust. And Paul is saying here that we need to to love one another with brotherly affection like this. We need to realize, brothers and sisters, that by God's mercy, we have been born into God's family at salvation along with all of the other people who have trusted God and called Christ as Savior and Lord. None of us deserved it. We're all adopted into it. But now we are all related in the new birth that is in Christ. And the fact is, if you walk with him and you have a relationship with him, you will be spending eternity together with him. And we will be there. And so heartfelt obedience to these commands comes from responding to the teaching that we are all one in Christ Jesus. All who believe in Christ are a part of God's mutual family. Now, I wonder if you've ever experienced this this morning. Have you ever felt guilty that you were actually closer to a brother or sister in Christ than you were your own family member? Maybe it's your own brother and sister. Maybe it's an aunt or uncle. But you actually feel like I am closer relationally to people within my church, within my small group, within my Sunday school class. But I am more uh, close to them relationally than I am to these people that are flesh and blood. Have you ever felt that way? And you, and you ever felt guilty about that? I mean, I've felt that before in my life. You know, and we kind of have this guilt complex. But I, I'm here to challenge you. And you're thinking about this this morning as well. I think this happens naturally when you are a part of living God's family and you're part of living in God's love the way that he intends it to be. Because we studied from last week, Romans 12, 5, and it says that we are all what? One body in Christ, and it said that we are individually members of one another. This, there's this commingling in the family of God, of Christ. We are all members of one another because we are all family being brought together. And I think sometimes this just happens naturally. If you have a relative that is not walking with Christ, if you have a relative that does not know Christ, you may feel closer 
to a brother or sister in Christ that's in your church or in your small group or in your Sunday school class. Someone that you meet that is in the faith. And the reason for that is because you're loving each other with this mutual brotherly affection. And it feels like family because it is family. The third thing this morning that we can learn from this passage is that a transformed life loves with humility and honor. A transformed life loves with humility and honor. So we have a transformed life loves with holiness. A transformed life loves with brotherly affection. And a transformed life loves with humility and honor. Look at the second part of verse 10 there. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. We're supposed to actually outdo one another in showing honor. We talked about this last week a little bit too. You remember what it says in Philippians chapter 2? about considering others as more important or as better than yourself? Because when we do that, we put others in the place of honor, and we put them first, and we put them most, and we put them best and foremost in our life. And that's what true love is, is that we're supposed to be actually outdoing one another. It gives us this idea here in the Scripture, in this verse, that it's like a competition. It's like a competition that we're going to outdo each other in love in the manner of honoring one another. And when we do that, we go back to the beginning of verse 9, and he says, through all of this, abhorring evil, clinging to what is good, brotherly affection, showing honor, outdoing one another in honor, he's saying here, let your love be genuine. Let your love be real. Let your love be sincere. And this is one of those things that we need to be putting into practice as Christians. It's something interesting. If you were in Bible times, there were potters. And they were kind of the Tupperware people of Bible times. If you needed a container to hold something, you would go to a potter. And they would get out their potter's wheel and they would create something made out of clay. They'd fire it up in their, in their kiln or their oven and it would harden. But there was a problem sometimes with some of these pieces, that sometimes through the formation or the heat not being right in the oven, that some of these pieces would crack. Now, if a piece cracks, and you think it's going to hold, you know, maybe wine, or it's going to hold water, it's going to hold some type of food or some type of substance for you, you don't want to crack in it, because then the, the fluid will just run out. And what a lot of the potters did was they kind of cheated a little bit. And what they would do is they would take wax, and when they pull their pot out of the can and they see that there's a crack in it, instead of throwing it away, many of them, because they were, you know, it was about the bottom line, I want to make some money off of this, I've got so much time and, and hours and I've got so much clay into this project, they would actually take this wax and they would fill in the cracks with wax. And then they'd fire it up again or they'd paint over it and they'd make it look like you had no idea that it had a crack. Until what? Until you put something into it. And it may not do it the first time, but maybe the third time or the fifth time or the tenth time you use this, it starts to leak. And the substance starts to pour out and you see the wax start to, to melt away and you, and you realize you have a problem here. And so what a lot of potters did at that time is they started turning their pottery over and on the bottom of it, they would put two words. They'd put sine sere, sine sere. And that means literally without wax. And that's the same concept here that he starts with in verse 9. Hey, brothers and sisters, let your love be sine sere. 
Let your love be without wax. Let it be the real thing. Let it be genuine. Let it be authentic and let it be real. And what is the call of Paul here? Is it behavior modification? No, because he keeps saying it's not something on the outside. It's not hypocritical. You can't act like you love it. It's something that happens in your heart. So the call of action today is to really examine what's inside. So then then we can line up what's going on on the outside. And we're supposed to love each other and be genuine. You see, transformation shows up in many forms in the believer's life. But love is the one trait that Christ clearly said would distinguish our lives from the rest of the world. Do you know how the old song went? We're one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. You get to the, the chorus of it. It says, they'll know that we are Christians by our love. By our love. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. Real love. Not fake love. A love without hypocrisy. A love that is sincere. A love that is genuine. And because that one trait is so important, we see throughout the writings in the New Testament, we see Paul talk about it. We see it in 1 John. The fact that that he states that God is love. He's the essence of love. And so to be like him is to be a person that is more loving than you were before you came to Christ Jesus. Then you think about the testimony to the world. This is what it should sound like today. May it be said of us here at Oakland Christian Church that their love is genuine. Their love is the real thing. And they abhor what is evil. And they cling and they hold fast to what is good. And they love one another with brotherly affection like a family. And they outdo each other by showing each other honor. By considering each other better than themselves. And because... A church and a Christian loves like this. We will exemplify the power of Christ and of a transformed life to the lost world. And they'll know that we're the real deal because of how we love. Please bow with me for a word of prayer. Lord God, I thank you that you love us so much that you sent Jesus that you are a God of second chances and that without the love that you have for us as the Heavenly Father, Lord, we have no hope. God, you have, you've called us here in this passage today through the Apostle Paul's word uh, to these Christians in Rome that we are to have our love be sincere, that our love is to be genuine, that our love to, is to be the real thing and not some fake thing that we put on, not some thing that we fake in the lobbies at church, that we fake in the workplace when we go out during the week, but a true love for people, a love for brothers and brotherly affection, a love for the lost because they're your children too. And God, you've called us to love, to cling to what is good, and to abhor and pull away from what is evil. God, you've called us to be a people that love each other with brotherly affection like family, to treat each other like family, to outdo each other in doing good deeds of honor to honor one another. And in doing this, God, this is your plan to change the world. It's going to change our environment. It's going to change our house. It's going to change, 
It's going to change our workplaces. It's going to change everything. And it's so simple that we, we, we've heard about love before. We can't be a part of the family of God and not know the love of God. But to actually see it lived out in sincerity is something that we need to do in our hearts. We daily surrender. And you daily fill us with your spirit and transform us into Christ-likeness through the power of Jesus dying on the cross and being resurrected from the grave. So God, this morning, I pray in these next few minutes, as we stand and we sing a song together, Lord, I just pray that we can truly give our hearts to you. That if we've been faking our Christianity, we've been faking loving people, God, that, that you would, from the inside out, change us and mold us and transform us that we can love others like you have loved us. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.